We continue in our journey through the book of Galatians. Uh, And a very meaningful, very powerful passage of scripture that we need to try as understand as best we can. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Years ago, Vernon Grounds shared a story. Uh, Shortly after, just a few days after the Civil War had been officially ended, a man was riding along a road in West Virginia. Suddenly, from out of the the trees and bushes from hiding, sprung a man in a Confederate uniform. He was dirty. He was ragged. He was scared. He grabbed the man's bridle and he said, give me something to eat. I don't want to hurt you. Just give me something to eat. I'm starving. And the man asked him, why don't you go to town and get some food? I can't. I don't dare. If I go into town, they'll shoot me. And the man asked him, well, why? Why would they shoot you? And the man said, a few weeks ago, I deserted from my unit. And I was headed to the Union line and was told they weren't taking any prisoners. And I knew if I went back to my troop, they would shoot me. So I've been hiding here in the woods, and I am now at the point of starving. I don't know what to do. I need food. And the man said, you don't know? The war's over. Lincoln has pardoned the Confederate Army. You are free to go get food. You can have all the food you want. And then ground... Vernon Grounds continued, in case you've not heard, the war is over. Jesus Christ has won the victory through his death and resurrection. Now you can eat at the Lord's table. The question is, will you continue to scavenge for what the world has to offer, or will you feed on the bread of life? Today we're going to look, and I'm going to mention briefly the verses 7 through 12 later on, We're going to look primarily at the last important argument about freedom and what it means about grace versus law. Paul is drawing it to close. There's a transition between chapters 3 and 4 into 5, and this kind of connects it all. It's a powerful passage of Scripture, and it is a hotly debated passage. So I ask you to stand and listen very carefully, both With ears and heart, we're going to pray that God guides us through this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by a law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. 
Okay, Paul has spent a long time trying to get the Galatians back on track. He said, these people that have come to you and said, you must first become a Jew in order to become a Christian are teaching you a heresy. And he's talked about grace and faith and grace and 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 following God and being accepted. And he's talked about law and how it doesn't work. And so he's now, he's bringing it to a close. And he tells them, they need to be committed. In this text, he is telling them, they need to be committed to the freedom that Christ produced in them, provided for them. They need to know that we are free indeed. It's yours. Today, we've had a long journey. And we've talked about this several times. And I know some of you may be thinking, we're finally getting out of the theological arguments. Well, I've told you before, anytime the scripture tells you something more than once, it's really trying to get our attention. And we need to understand that we can be at as much danger as the Galatians were of being led astray if we are not grounded in the truth. Well, Paul is telling us today, you and I need to know that freedom in Christ is essential to the lives that we are called to live as Christians. So we're going to examine our text We want to order our lives by its truths. And the very first one is a very simple truth. And I'm not going to need to spend a lot of time with you in it because it's a simple assertion. It is a statement of fact. I'm going to try to help us unpack what that fact is. But the assertion is Christ has set us free so that we could live free. I need you to wrap your brains around that for just a moment. Jesus Christ didn't free you through his shed blood so that you would walk in slavery the rest of your lives. He set you free so that you could know freedom. Some people believe, and I agree, this may well be the key verse in the entire book of Galatians. It may be the hinchpin on what everything Paul has tried to say rings true. So Paul tells him, he lets them understand Paul declared that Christ's act of atonement let his followers walk in freedom. Now, what does he mean by freedom? Well, I'm going to do an old favorite preacher thing. I'm going to first let you know what it's not. When Paul, and, and this is important because when we hear of freedom, as citizens of the United States, we are already, we are already kind of focused on our freedom. You need to know this was not about political freedom. When Paul wrote these words, he was under one of the most vile governments the world had ever known, the Roman Empire under Nero. So he's not saying freedom, you don't have to obey the Roman laws, just go do, that's not what he has in mind at all. It is also not talking about being free from all of your, the baggage you bring into life, all the different psychological needs you have because you've been wounded. Uh, Christ is going to free you from all of the hurts that have ever happened in you and make you a happy person. And he's also not saying you're free to believe whatever you want to. So I'm not, I'm going to quit talking about the, the Judaizers. If that's what you want to believe, then you're free to do it. No. Paul lets them know throughout this book and throughout the Word of God, there are absolute truths to our faith. 
And these truths we must embrace. If we're going to seriously call ourselves Christians, we are bound by the word. So what did he mean? Well, we're free from the law. And I love that old hymn. I absolutely love it. And uh, you would get bored with it a lot, but I wouldn't mind if we sang that every Sunday all the way through Galatians. We are free from the law and the bondage it brought. But it also, if you remember, he told the Galatians, he talked about the elemental powers of the world. He's also saying, I know you're not Jewish and you weren't under the law, but you had your own slavery to everything the world had to offer you, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All those things would bind you. So Paul said, you are free from everything that has bound you and caused you to think, I have to earn my way to whatever I think heaven may be. And then Paul says very purposely, and this was the purpose behind Christ's death and his freeing you. He died to set you free. And so the freedom that we have is completely and totally based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Has nothing to do with where I was born. Has nothing to do with what culture I was grown up in. My freedom is mine because of Jesus Christ. And it's all about relationship. James Hewitt writes about an incident in, in, in 1838. There was a strong emancipation movement uh, in Jamaica. And after a long period of slavery, they finally won their freedom, and it was to take effect August the 1st. And on, on Jamaica, there was a group of slaves who had gathered at a beach one evening, the last day of July. They had with them a large coffin. And they dug a hole in the sand. And with them, they had all of the symbols of their slavery. Chains, whips, all the different things that identified them as slaves. And one by one, as midnight approached, they began putting those objects in the coffin. And then just moments before their newfound freedom, these soon-to-be-emancipated slaves took the coffin, put it in the hole, and started covering it with sand. And they started singing to praises for God. Now, I'm going to give you the English translation of a song they sang that you will know well. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Hewitt wrote, they were free. They're no longer slaves, and they're rejoicing. Then he said, how much they were like Christians who through Christ's death are free from their slavery. And how much they'll be like Christians who one day in heaven will be free from the very presence of sin. What I want you to know, we are actually free in Christ. Actually, literally, truthfully, this is this is the birthright of every believer. We have freedom in Christ, and it is ours right now. Legalism that we've been looking at says, look, if you work really hard and you follow our rules, one day you can be free. But grace says you already have been made free in Christ through the tremendous cost of what Jesus gave for you. I love some of you know John Stott's one of my heroes. 
He said Christian freedom, he describes as freedom of conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, freedom, the dreadful struggle to keep the law with a view to, to winning the favor of God. It is the freedom of acceptance with God and access to God through Christ. And folks, if we understand that, we should celebrate that we are no longer slaves to the curse of the law. We are free. Free from the law, happy condition. Amen and amen. Folks, this truth should guide us and move us. All the time, we think of all the the stuff the world throws at us. When we think even of our own problems, and we begin to think there's never going to be any hope, Christ is calling out to you are free. And he'll spell out all that that means. Paul deals with us in the verses that will follow in in chapters 5 and 6. We're free, people. You are free in Christ. Our next truth says we must stand firm in our freedom. We cannot let it go. We must stand firm here. We must not lose sight. Standing firm. Now, what does this say? What was Paul telling them? In verses 2 and through 4 and 5, well, 4, Paul warned about the dangers of looking to the law to complete salvation. He first gives them an assertion, a simple statement or two, if you're free. Now he gives them the command. You need to stand firm in their freedom. I will admit, reluctantly, that I can be stubborn. And if I were not willing to admit that, you could ask family members and they would, yeah, he can. I'm definitely my father's son. And sometimes stubbornness is just, excuse me for East Texas term, that's just being pig-headed. But there are times when stubbornness is the right thing. I love James Montgomery's take on this passage. He says, Paul appeals for an obstinate perseverance in freedom as the only proper response to any attempt to bring Christians once more under legalism. I am giving you permission today to be obstinate, to just settle in your mind, I'm not backing down from this. If the Galatians did not recognize their freedom in Christ, if they did not stand firm, they essentially, he said, you're going to be taking on yourself again a yoke of slavery. You're free, so stand firm in that. Don't let anybody ever put another yoke on you. Now, if you don't know what a yoke is, think about pictures you've seen of oxen with that big piece of wood on their back. There's an image of an ox that the the yoke is so completely huge that you almost get a picture of the ox falling down to its knees. It can't carry that burden. And Paul's been telling him, you can't carry the burden of slavery. You can't carry the burden of the law. And someone has pointed out, well, Paul is telling him, "Your, your willingness to go back into slavery. Here, if you follow these men and you go into the Jewish law... Or if you go back to your pagan way of life and let yourself be enslaved by that, Paul says, uh, it's been said, what you have here 
Remember, Paul's been going to the Old Testament a lot. Do you remember that moment in time when Israel has been taken out of Egypt and they've crossed the Red Sea by the miracle of God and Pharaoh's army is decimated and they're marching on their way to freedom and glory and then they start running into problems? We're thirsty, we're hungry. Do you remember what they kept saying? We were better off in Egypt. We ought to go back to Egypt. And Paul is describing for believers, that's what you're thinking about doing. You're thinking about going back into slavery. And so he said, listen to me. Mark my words. I like the NIV. That's pretty good. Some translations say to listen. Some say, uh, now, I, the, the word is actually behold or see, but it's getting their attention. Now, listen, this isn't somebody with me telling you this. This is I, Paul, the one who told you about Christ, the one whose authority you accepted when I was with you. I've got something to tell you. And he says, circumcision is a yoke that will cripple you. Now, Paul didn't have a problem with circumcision per se, what he had a problem with was saying you need to be circumcised in order to make the act of Christ complete. So his wording is, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, which implies what? They haven't done it yet. And he's warning them, you need to understand when you go in, circumcision is kind of like, uh, it's the essence of a pledge. By being circumcised, they don't realize this is what's being asked of them. I'm now agreeing I will follow the law. Because Paul says, if you're going to try to follow the law, you've got to follow it all. And no one, Paul says, can follow it. There's an old poem. I don't know who said it. Probably ought to see if I can find it out. But it says, run, John, and live. The law commands, but neither gives me neither legs nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. You can't follow the law. And this is where the text gets tough. If you are trying to be justified by your works, you are alienated from Christ. And this may be a a play on words with circumcision because the word alienated means you're cut off from. You have fallen from grace. Now some look at this and say, see, I told you I proved you can lose your salvation. Uh, now, many people talk about falling for grace when you ask them, well, how does that happen? Well, when you sin. When you go into, you know, you commit murder, you commit adultery, you steal, you lie, you cheat. When you do all that kind of stuff and act like anomaly, you are falling from grace. But please notice in this text, Paul doesn't mention people falling into sin at all. In fact, people who are thinking about being circumcised are saying, well, I need to be sure that I'm good enough to get into heaven. It doesn't talk about falling from sin. Now, do you remember Bill's mantra that he says, I think almost every time he preaches, and I've said it too, what is the most important rule for for interpreting a passage of Scripture? Remember? Context, context, context. And uh, Walter Kaiser points out a wonderful aspect of context. He says this is the perfect passage of Scripture to deal with the issue of context. If you pull this verse out of the book, then you can make an argument You can fall from grace. You can lose your walk with Christ. But when you look at context, how has Paul been talking about law and grace? 
These are two methods to salvation. The idea, I have to keep the law in order to get saved, or I receive the gift of God, which comes to me through grace. For those who are going to be justified in the law, you've turned your back on the principle. You've turned your back on the truth that is only through grace people can be saved. Now think about the consequence of this. If the Galatian church decides we're going to go back to the law in order to complete Christ, what are they going to be teaching every person who comes their way about salvation? Be circumcised and then have faith. And you're going back to an old system of idea, keeping law. He says you can't do that. This is a principle. Grace, the law is a principle that leads to death and destruction. Paul says if you live under the law, you're enslaved by it to sin. You can't break free. Grace is opposite. It's a principle of life. So he's talking about two different methods. You're turning your back on what the gospel says. There's one way to God, by grace through faith. Paul isn't talking about, this is not, the modern idea of losing your salvation and, and are, are you, do you persevere or are you capable of walking away? That's not what's on Paul's mind. He's literally talking about two pathways to God. And you're about to say the pathway of grace isn't good enough. And it's going to lead you to ruin. Let me give you, for instance, in the Gospels. Jesus is casting out demons. He's working miracles. And his enemies don't like that. Because that suggests he's actually coming from God. So do you remember what they said, how they tried to explain away the miracles and the the freedom of demonic people? How they got around it? He's doing it by the power of Satan. Attributing to Satan, the works of God. And Jesus stops. I believe if we could see him, I think he stopped dead in his track. He looked them in the eye and he said, all types of sin can be forgiven, but there's one that cannot be. The unpardonable sin. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now he does not actually tell them, you have crossed that into that line. It's just what they're saying is so close. He says, you need to stop right here, right now. You don't need to go any further. Now, the first time I heard blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as a teenager, just getting back right with God, I was absolutely certain I had done it. And I my preacher preached on, on this, and I got so scared. I talked to Brother David. And he looked at me and he said that I said so many people say the same thing afterwards. He said, Danny, if you're worried about whether or not you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's a really good sign you haven't. Because if I have cut myself off forever from the grace of God, I don't care. And Paul is saying that same kind of warning. You need to be extremely careful with what you do here. You haven't crossed a line but you're very close to making a decision that will be the, the ruin of your church, its identity. Jesus talks to, three, to, to, to 
churches in the book of Revelation, all the, the seven churches of Revelation. And for all but two, he says, you need to repent or I'm going to remove your candlestick. And I believe what he meant by that, you may go on as a religious organization, but you will not be my church. There are a whole lot of folks who have worship services that have left God outside the door. And Paul is warning them, I don't want that for you. Now, how do I deal with me? What, what does this mean for us? We must ask ourselves why we would want to return to bondage. Why would we want to go into slavery? Now, someone has suggested the Galatians might have liked this idea because remember, they came from a pagan background. They were probably worshipers in one of the mystery religions. And the moment they came to Christ, they cut that off from their lives. They no longer went to the, the worship services. They didn't go to the great feasts that were had. They were cutting themselves off in personal contact. Those of you who remember when churches were filled back in the 50s and 60s into the 70s, you need to keep in mind in many communities, the church was the hub of activity. And people were there because that's where you went to meet other people. The Galatians now have that cut off, and here come the Judaizers. We're offering you a home. We're going to let you be part of us. You'll be part of the, the real group, and you can have your identity here. Well, why would I want to go into slavery? Why would I want to start living my life as a Christian who is free by following rules? Now, I don't believe that anybody here, I pray nobody actually believes that you can earn your way to heaven. I really hope that is true of all of you. None of you think I'm going to be good enough to get in because you can't. And I love you guys, but you just can't. So why is it? In evangelical circles, we are saved by grace through faith, not of your works. Not, and that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen, amen. Here you're saved. Okay, where's my checklist? What are all the things that I have to do to make sure God's going to keep loving me? What do I have to do to make sure that I'm, I am obeying all the rules? And folks, a lot of the rules we come up with are not mentioned in the Bible at all. One of my favorites from my youth age, and I think I've probably mentioned it before. I don't know how many times I had youth workers say, I don't, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. And I promise you, Rachel was not alcoholic or a chain smoker. I followed the rule. But why? Maybe... Maybe we want to be sure we've got a passing grade. Two young men graduated from high school. And they worked hard to get there. The day I gra- the night I graduated, as we were walking across the stage, grades had not been computed before the ceremony, before the night of graduation. So some of my friends, as they walked across the stage and got their folder and were so excited, they got to their seat, they opened it up. You have to come to summer school. How's about that for a kick in the teeth? I need to be sure I passed the grade. I need to be sure I've done everything I can do. I need to work hard. The problem is you can't do it. 
You're not going to get into heaven and you're not going to keep your salvation by good performance. It's not about our works. I need to remember, you and I need to remember, our salvation is all by the grace of God. Nobody in this room deserves it, including me. And so I believe we need to heed the dire warning against a life of legalism. I really do believe that Scripture teaches the, the, the perseverance of the saints. I don't like the phrase, once saved, always saved, because I think it cheapens. And some people use that to say, I can do whatever I want to do in life, and that's not what freedom in Christ means. But God holds on to us, and I believe that. We may stray, we may wander off into the far country like the prodigal son, but eventually we come home to the Father and find Him waiting on us. But there are warnings. And what this does for me is remind me, every day of my life, if I look at this text, am I being true to what Jesus did to me? Or am I saying with the way I've thought about the way I live, he's not good enough? Now, Paul is so frustrated with this. In the verses that Natalie read, uh, I just want to reference them, 7 through 12. You do see Paul's frustration here. Absolutely, totally frustrated. You were doing really good. Who threw up a roadblock? Who blocked you from obeying the truth? And he says, whoever's trying to move you away from the, the principle of grace, that's not from God. That's not from God. He wants a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You, you take a, one act of law, I've got to keep this. Well, God, you got to have the whole thing. He says, I'm not preaching circumcision. I never told you you had to be circumcised. I never told you you had to... To, to follow the law, it's all by grace. And then he does say, remember the good old days of King James, I wish those who, who, those agitators would be cut off. And we'd just say, well, you know, drive them out. That, no, he says, I wish they'd just do the job completely. He's frustrated. So we need to understand. The moment I start thinking, I can earn my way to God's favor, even as a Christian, I've lost sight of grace. Now, just in case you're thinking, Brother Danny is going full-blown antinomian, which means against the law, that there are, I, there are no things we must obey, I want to give you the last truth, because this is very important. We are free in Christ. And we need to stand firm in that freedom and never try to live a life of law. But our final truth tells us we must not abuse our freedom. We must not refuse, abuse our freedom. And when Paul is dealing with this, in verse 5, he's letting them know something. 5 and 6 tells them something very important. He's talked about don't let them lead you astray. Well, now Paul gave a caution about what it really meant to live in Christian freedom. What does it really mean? And I want you to notice, Paul moves back. He's been using the pronoun you, a plural you, all of you. He now comes back to we. He says, but we, 
which is a good indication. Paul's including himself. He really doesn't believe that these Galatians have gone too far. He doesn't, he's not afraid that they are somehow lost now. He knows they are part of him and part of Christ. He says, we have something important. You see, Paul knew the human heart is able to be deceived. He just knew it. So Paul is saying, look, I know people are trying to lead you to say, but keep in mind who you are and remember, there are two things of great importance about believers. One is that we wait. We are being led by the Spirit, are being told to wait. And I've told you before, I don't like waiting. It's something God's still working on me. I am 64 years old and I still don't like to wait. And I sometimes think God lets the line that I got into at Walmart intentionally get long and slow. While the lines I voted are speeding through. Okay, God, I know I need to learn. But Paul says we are eagerly waiting. And what we are waiting for is the hope of righteousness. Now, they are already righteous in Christ. He has made that clear. They are already true believers, children of God. But he's talking about something out there in the future. There is going to come a time when our righteousness will be made complete, and we will finally be perfect. We will be standing before our God. The Lord Jesus will welcome us. The Spirit is moving freely among all God's people. And we will be what we were created and redeemed to be fully and forever through all eternity. Amen and amen. But again, listen to Stott. For this future salvation we wait, we do not work for it. We wait for it by faith. We do not strive anxiously to secure it or imagine that we have to earn it by good works. Final glorification in heaven is as free a gift as our initial justification. So by faith, trusting only in Christ crucified, we wait for it. And all of us here know that feeling, Lord Jesus, come. I'm homesick. I'm tired of this world. Come quickly, Lord, Maranatha. And freedom in Christ allows us to have a hope. A hope that is real, a hope that is true, a hope that is focused on an eternal destiny that I can't even begin to really imagine. Every time I try to figure out what heaven will look like, I just, okay. I guess I have to wait and find out. It's more than I can imagine. But there's a second thing. Because what matters is our willingness to wait on the Lord and trust him. We're not going to try to work our way. We're not going to try to earn our way. We're not going to keep the laws so everybody will be happy. We're going to follow him. We're going to love him. We're going to serve him. We wait. And the next thing he says drives us home. What matters is faith. And here's where I can let you know I am not against the idea of obedience. If I said you don't have to obey the Lord, I'd be foolish. Because Christ said, if you love me, you do obey me. Paul says, we have faith. And it's a particular type of faith. A faith that is active in love.
when we trust Christ and that faith is real and places ourselves in his hands, something happens in our lives. Paul says if a man is circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. What matters is we trust and what matters is that faith produces action caused by love. In the two chapters, the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul is actually going to tell them, this is what needs to happen in your life to have a mature faith in Jesus Christ. He wants them to grow up. He wants them to see that it's freedom that you are to live in. And he immediately starts launching into their birth rate is freedom. He immediately gives this text in chapter 5 that says some of these people are using their liberty as a pretext to do whatever they want. They're thinking, I can go out and live the party life. I can go out and sin all I want. Grace is going to take care of it. I'm I'm going to go out and just live like I did before I met Jesus. Some of them are kind of like, it's me and Jesus. We got a good thing going, and I don't need to worry about any of you because they've forgotten their need to be bound together in other Christians and to help one another. And because they've forgotten one another and their love for each other, he also says, and a bunch of you are just backbiting and falling into discord. You're into factions. You're, you're fighting all the time. In these two verses, you may, I don't know how closely you are paying attention, but in these two verses, Paul uses a group of three words that he uses again. In two verses, faith, hope, and love. And that sums up who we are in Christ. That sums up who we are to be. We have faith in him. We have hope because of that faith and the love that he showers in our lives if we truly belong to him will start flowing from our lives to those around us. So again, I take a look at this and those two verses and I believe Paul is telling you and me today while we are not to be legalists, our freedom is not absolute. I'm not free to do whatever I want to. Now, I had friends in high school who were firm believers and used the term once saved, always saved frequently. And they would talk about, they would talk about being in choir and then go on and talk about where is the next party and where can we get loaded on Friday. And had no sense, this isn't right. Something's not quite right. Ours is the life of the Spirit. So I'm, Paul is not saying good works. And obedience do not matter. That is not what he's saying. He's saying you cannot earn your way to God by good works and obedience. Ours is a life led by the Spirit. And he will be the one who produces the works within us. This is what we will find in chapter 5. We're to live under the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. And that faith that's working in us, That faith of love will draw people. When Shannon Etheridge was 16 years old, 
in a moment of carelessness. She was driving her car to high school one day, and she ran over Marjorie Jartsfar, a woman who was riding her bicycle on a country road, and Marjorie was killed. The authority said it was Etheridge's fault. She is the one who did it. She is the one who, who carelessly took this life. And she was overwhelmed at guilt. I can't imagine having to deal with that kind of guilt at 16 years of age. She contemplated suicide several times. I have to get free from this. But she did not take her life. And the reason was an act of incredible love and mercy, and grace. And it came from one man, Gary. Gary Jarstfar, Marjorie's husband. And he pled on behalf of the 16-year-old and asked the charges to be dropped. Because if they went through a court, she would have been found guilty, and it would have ruined her life. He looked at Shannon Etheridge, and this is what he asked of her as he pled on her behalf. Follow the footsteps of my wife. You can't let this ruin your life. More than 20 years ago, he told this young lady, you can't let this ruin your life. And he said, God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I am passing Marjorie's legacy onto you. Christian love for a young girl who took my wife away from me. An amazing act of grace, an amazing act of love, and it changed her. Shannon Etheridge has written Every Girl's Battle. Every Woman's Battle, and her most recent book, Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits. And it's focused on helping women overcome guilt-ridden, wounded lives. How can you find the grace that will set you back on track? Folks, we need to commit to the truth of faith, will produce, will express itself in active love. James says, you tell me you believe and you don't have anything to show that? Well, I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. We are not justified by love, but if we are truly Christ, the love that flows into our lives changes us. Did you know that you are God's masterpiece? You really are. I've quoted two of these verses more than once in this, this series of sermons, Ephesians 2. You're very familiar with verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We are saved by grace through faith. I don't have to earn it. And we stop at verse 9. Verse 10 says, For we are God's 
workmanship. And that word can be translated masterpiece. James has got works of art over in, in the, the mall in one of the shops. You can take a look at his pet portraits. I think Seth and Cheryl have one. I'm not sure he's ever put his masterpiece out. But as beautiful as this world is, we are God's masterpiece. How's that? Someone said, when I look at this world, I think, what is man that you even pay attention to us? And then you declare, I've made you a little lower than Elohim, the gods. We are created by God to work. But not to work so that we can earn not to work so we can say, I deserve this gift. As many of you think I deserve a gift, it's no longer a gift. It's a reward. It's what you earned. The love of Christ comes into our lives. He is the one who's going to order us. If you want to find out the things that the Word says we shouldn't do and the things we should do, keep coming back. Because we're going to deal with works of the flesh and the, the problem with that. But all along the way, while Paul is now talking about good works, it's not about good works that will earn your way into heaven or keep you in the hands of God. They are flowing out through us from the Spirit of God. J.F. Esco asks, How many of us have ever labored under the misunderstanding that we had to please God by our obedience so that we might be saved? How many of us have ever labored under the misunderstanding that if we sin, we can somehow lose our salvation? How many of us have ever thought ourselves to be better than others because we believed that we were more obedient? Yet all of these false opinions are built on the Galatian heresy, beginning with the grace of God and trying to finish our salvation by our own power. My brothers and sisters, we cannot allow ourselves to be caught up in the Galatian heresy. We cannot allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking your salvation needs an extra oomph. It needs your hard work. It's by grace through faith. We are free indeed. So today I'm asking you, as a church, let us commit to walking in that freedom. Let's commit to living lives that Christ calls us to live. So we don't have to check. I would ask how many of you have one of these. But that would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Now, how many of you, all this time you've been in church, have been dying to pick it up and check? Because I don't want to miss a message. For some of us, now, when I wake up in the morning, I wake up to the alarm on here. So, yeah, I have to pick up my phone and turn it off. But some of us can't wait to see. I don't want to miss anything. I told somebody the other day, I sometimes leave the house without my phone. If it's a short trip and I, and I remember, oh, I don't have my phone, I don't turn around and go back. The only time I turn around and go back is if I actually need the phone in the course of the day. I said, when I get back home, I know it's going to be there. And they looked at me like I said something about the ugly about their mom. <laughs> you have got to be crazy. I am going to check. <laughs> Folks, I don't want to go through life 
saying, have I followed the laws perfectly enough to know that God loves me? Folks, there's nothing you can do that will ever make God love you less. There's nothing you can do that will ever make God love you more. Paul says you're free. You're free to live your life in love, touching other people for Jesus. You're free to live your life in obedience to the Spirit as He leads you and directs you and empowers you. You are free from trying to earn your way. Folks, we need that freedom today. Because when, you, when the world looks at us, all they see are all the things we're against. That's all they see. Everything we're against. Now, there are a lot of things I'm against. But one of the reasons I'm against them is because I have a Savior who loves me and gave himself for me. And I'm not against him, so I can check it off okay. I obey him. Because of his love and what he's doing in my life. And I obey him through the power of the Spirit, not my own effort. I remember as a boy, and I was a teenage preacher boy, ripe old age, probably was about 17, I was convinced I had already arrived. I, had con- I was convinced Billy Graham had better look out because Danny's coming. And I'm going to change the world for the kingdom of God. Now, I pray and hope that there have been changes through the ministry God has given me to this world. But it didn't take me long to leave my room in my Bible study and find out, no, you're a long way off, Danny. I'm free from the law. And that freedom... And that love compels me. Become the man God wants me to be. We need to remember whose children we are. And let the love of God compel us. By his strength and his power and his grace. To walk free and not be entangled.